the, the whole month here. I want to welcome you to our short series, not the short bumper, but a short series through the book of Philippians. Go ahead and open your Bibles up to the book of Philippians. Now, we could, honestly, we could spend months walking through the book of Philippians together. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the, the believers, the church in the city of Philippi. And there are just some wonderful, deep, beautiful theological truths, some wonderful practical applications uh, throughout this book. And I'm encouraging you to do the same thing that we did when we walked through Colossians together. Read through this letter every week. Challenge yourself to uh, sit down and read it all in one sitting. If you can do that more than once throughout the week, you're going to be better prepared on Sundays, whenever we go to study this book together. Uh, and even though there are a, a ton of just amazing, wonderful truths in this letter, we are going to spend this month focusing our attention on just one, one really, really important truth that uh, is a repetitive theme throughout this letter. Among all the wonderful truths that, again, I hope you'll be blessed by as you study on your own, the one that we're going to focus on is this. When we give thanks, we receive joy. When we give thanks, we receive joy. It's a theme that is repeated throughout the letter. And every week we're going to take a little different angle, a little different look at that one truth. When we give thanks, we receive joy. And I just, I think that's such an incredible exchange when you think about it, giving thanks and receiving joy. There's not too many exchanges in our lives that are that incredible. I have exchanged money for food that tasted terrible. I have exchanged money for services that should not be called service. I have exchanged money for products that turned out to be total junk. Not every exchange of our money for products or services turns out to be an equal or even beneficiary, uh, beneficial chain, exchange. Uh, I, have given, I have given trust to people and received disappointment or broken promises in return. Has that ever happened to you? Sure. I have, I have given time and received a wasted return on that, on that investment. I'm sure that you have experienced that too. So not every exchange that we have in our lives returns something equal to or better than what we gave. But that's not true when it comes to giving thanks. Every single time I have given thanks, I have received joy in return. Would you say that's true? Have you experienced that? Every single time we give thanks, we receive joy. It is an immutable, irrefutable exchange, and it's pretty incredible. And it's, exchange, it's an exchange that Paul repeats throughout this letter, and so we are going to focus our attention on this powerful life principle that when we give thanks, we receive joy. Philippians chapter 1, if, uh, if it's helpful to you, there are paper notes available. Hopefully you saw those when you came in this morning. Uh, if, you, if you want to use digital notes, those are also available. Really easy to find on our website, 
Uh, maybe some of you don't have like a quick link on your phone. I would recommend you do that on your phone. Just go gracefellowship.online. Once you get there, most phones are pretty easy. You can set a quick link. Uh, it's kind of like an app button right on your phone. That's how it's set up on mine. You just click that. If you go to the Lamersville page, it's real easy to find. It's a big green button that says notes. You can't miss it. It'll take you right where you need to go. While you're, while you're preparing for all of, all of that with uh, getting to Philippians and getting your notes ready to go, I, I need to confess to you a, a failure in, in my life, something that I have had to repent over uh, more than I would care to admit. And you're like, oh my, this pastor is an admitted sinner. We're going to need to find a new church. Listen, over the last 20 years of ministry, certainly in my lifetime, but over the last 20 years of ministry, there have been times, it's not a totality, it's not every day, but there have been seasons, there have been times when I've experienced uh, frustration, where I've experienced heartache, where I have experienced disappointment in relationships or in, in ministry itself. You, you invest in something and it doesn't work out uh, the way that you had hoped or whatever. And there's been times, because of those hurts or those disappointments, there have been times over 20 years where, where I have forfeited my spiritual joy. And I'm using that word intentionally, that I have forfeited. I don't, I'm not using the word lost uh, as if I misplaced my joy, like I, I, I laid down a pencil or my keys and I don't know where I put it. I mean, I have forfeited, at times, my spiritual joy. And, and the way that that happened, I, uh, I have at times allowed self-pity or anger disappointment, I have allowed those types of emotions to take hold of my heart at times and push joy out. This guy's worse than I thought. We're going to have to leave right now. He's, he's terrible. I am aware that, uh, that Pastor Jeff, who is on staff here, offers uh, Christian counseling. Yes, I am aware of that. And uh, no, I don't think I would be happier washing dishes at Olive Garden. Like, I don't think I need to change what I do for a living. Uh, I'm just, I want to be open and honest with you about this uh, because I'm guessing I'm not the only one in the room who has ever misplaced, leaked, lost, or forfeited joy. I'm guessing I'm not the only one. But I also want to say to you with absolute confidence that Philippians chapter 1 has the solution to this problem, and I know that from personal experience. I have experienced restored joy in my heart by applying the truth that we're going to look at together this morning. I know it from personal experience. So I want you to write this down. If you're taking notes, you want to type it in somewhere, that's fine. But it's this simple truth that rejoicing, that's the word we're going to focus on this morning, rejoicing is what restores joy. Rejoicing is what restores joy. If you ever feel like the joy of the Lord has leaked out of you, it has been misplaced, or maybe you have forfeited it, 
The best way to restore that joy is to rejoice. Let's define the word, rejoice, because I don't know what you hear or what you think of whenever you hear the word rejoice. Maybe you hear the word rejoice and immediately your mind goes to the Christmas story and the angels that appeared the night that Jesus was born and the, uh, they rejoiced uh, with exceeding great joy. And that certainly is an accurate depiction of rejoicing. But let's dig a little bit deeper into what rejoicing is for you and I on an everyday basis. Here's a good definition of rejoicing. It is to be glad, simply to be glad. To rejoice means to take delight in. To rejoice means to feel joy. And what you need to understand about the word rejoice as we define it is that it is a verb. It's not a noun. Remember Mad Libs? Some of you uh, remember, if you don't remember you know, your English class, remember Mad Libs? Uh, we need a noun. That's a person, place, or thing. Verb. Action word. Rejoice is an action word, which implies that there needs to be, if we're going to rejoice, there needs to be some expression that happens when we rejoice. Now, we're all different. We all have different personalities and temperaments. Uh, Some are more expressive than others in our personalities. But when we rejoice, there needs to be an expression of being glad, of feeling joy. Sometimes uh, that can be expressed with a simple smile. Just a smile can express rejoicing. Sometimes it is a song like the angels and uh, when, we, when we gather together on a Sunday morning. Or even in your car, you can rejoice with singing. It can be expressed that way. Sometimes rejoicing can be expressed with cheering and and with clapping and with fist bumping. Like uh, when you go to a sporting event and people are rejoicing. Sometimes it's expressed with that kind of exuberance. Sometimes it's just giving thanks with an enthusiastic, heartfelt thank you. Thank you. think because rejoicing can be expressed with a heartfelt, enthusiastic thank you. It puts it into this category. It's a form of giving thanks. And see, that's important because that's why rejoicing restores joy. Because when we give thanks, what do we receive in return? We receive joy. When we give thanks in the form of rejoicing, we receive joy. It restores our joy. Now, Before we go any farther, I just need to make this point. We don't have to forfeit joy, right? You hear me saying things about leaking out joy and misplacing it or forfeiting it. That doesn't have to happen. It does. It probably happens to all of us, uh, at least for a brief moment in time throughout our lives, but it doesn't have to. It's not something that is, uh, because of your circumstance, it is hard, it is difficult, it is painful, That circumstance in and of itself does not demand that we forfeit or misplace joy. It doesn't have to happen. And rejoicing not only restores joy if we leak or if we lose it, 
It also protects joy. We don't have to lose it in the first place. Rejoicing is something that if we can learn to do it in the difficult circumstance, we don't have to lose joy in the first place. Rejoicing will not only restore joy, it will also protect it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to practice rejoicing. That sounds fun, right? So uh, I have a, a picture that I want you to look at. This is my sister on the left. This is my wife on the right. And today is my sister Michelle's birthday. Tomorrow is my wife's birthday. Yesterday, if you care, yesterday was mine and my daughter's. This is a big weekend for us, right? So we're doing a lot of rejoicing throughout this weekend, and I want to invite you to join in that rejoicing. So would you just smile and clap? Yay, it is a birthday. Congratulations, you just rejoiced. You can do this. I know that you can do this. All right? So as we define rejoicing as an expression of gladness, an expression of joy, an expression of delight... We're going to go into Philippians chapter 1. We're going to take that and we're going to use that understanding of rejoicing throughout this chapter. Go to verse 27. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Now, depending on the version that you have, it's, it's worded a little bit differently. Uh, King James, New American, New Living, NIV, they all have a little bit different wording when it comes to verse 27. Uh, the NIV starts off that sentence with this phrase, whatever happens, whatever happens. Now, the thought of that is found in no matter what version you have. He, he says, uh, regardless of what's going on, and we'll look at some of the things that could be going on in our lives. He's sitting in a prison when he writes this. Uh, the, the idea is there that we should respond in a certain way. That's what verse 27, we'll get to it. But this idea of whatever happens is, is found throughout this chapter. And his, uh, his push in chapter 1 is to move our hearts to respond to whatever our circumstances are. You fill in the blank, good, bad, hard, easy. Whatever happens, our our response, we'll see, should be to rejoice. Whatever happens, rejoice. Is COVID ever going to end? I don't know. Some people are asking the question, am I going to lose my job? Right? That's a real question that people are wrestling with and asking right now. Some people are wondering, are we going to become the next Cuba, right? That's a concern, a question that some people are, are thinking through and wondering. Are robots going to take over the world? I think about that a lot. I don't know. We're going to look through some different things together this morning. The point that we're going to land on is this, whatever happens, whether it's those things I just mentioned or something else, Whatever happens, our response needs to be to rejoice, to rejoice, because rejoicing is not only what restores joy. If we, if we lose it, if we misplace it, if we forfeit it, we can restore it through rejoicing, but we can also protect it. We can keep from losing it or leaking it by rejoicing. And if you're sitting there thinking, I don't know, 
What if what I'm going through is really, really bad, Pastor? What if, what if uh, what I'm experiencing, I can't think of anything to rejoice over? Paul gives us, in this chapter, he gives us three things that we, collectively, that we can always rejoice over, whatever happens. Three things that we can always rejoice over over that we can be glad about, that we can take delight in, that we can feel joy over, that we can express an enthusiastic thank you to God. And what's interesting about all three of the things we're going to look at today, they all flow directly out of the gospel, all of them. We're going to see that repeated throughout this chapter. They all flow directly out of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross as a substitute, sacrifice, a payment, a full payment for your sin debt and my sin debt to appease the wrath of God and that that Jesus didn't stay dead, that he rose from the dead three days later, proving his victory over sin, his victory over death. The good news of Jesus Christ is that he offers us Forgiveness of sin. He offers us eternal life. He offers us a transformed heart. He offers it to us as a free gift of grace. All we have to do is have faith in Jesus Christ alone and what He did for us on the cross. All three of the things that we can rejoice over this morning flow out of that good news of the gospel. Here's the first one. I'm going to put every one of these under the banner of whatever happens. Whatever happens. Here's the first thing we can always rejoice over. We can rejoice that the gospel is at work in the lives of other believers. The gospel is at work in the lives of other believers. If you join me in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. I express gladness. I express joy. I express thankfulness. This is rejoicing. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my, here's a key word, partners in spreading the good news about Christ. Now, you might have it worded uh, partners in the gospel or your partnership in the gospel, your participation in the gospel, your fellowship. I think King James words it that way, the fellowship of the gospel. He's rejoicing in that from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. What is that? That's the message of the gospel, isn't it? Verse 7, So it is right that I should feel as I do about you, For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news of the gospel. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Now, just a little bonus. Uh, Some of you who have a King James sitting on your lap this morning, you've got a really curious phrase there about the bowels of Jesus. Do you see it? Some of you have the bowels of Jesus. And you're like, what does that have to, why are we talking about Jesus' bowels? Uh, If you have that, 
uh, what he's talking about there is the seat of our emotion of affection, right? That was a, an expression. You know how you and I say, you are, I have you in my heart. Right? I feel you in my heart. We express that. It's, it's a way of expressing affection and kindness and love towards someone. And so that would be an expression uh, if, if that's what you have in front of you. And I tell all that to everyone just because it's kind of interesting. God knows how much I love you, how much I long for you with a tender compassion. I think the NIV uses the word affection of Christ. Paul is, is, is rejoicing about what the gospel is doing in the lives of other believers, specifically about their partnership together in the gospel. And the Greek word there is koinia, and it is translated uh, partner, partnership, fellowship, participation. The believers in Philippi have been active participants with Paul and with other believers for the sake of the gospel. And what I love about how Paul phrases that, he says, from the beginning until now. They knew what that meant, and maybe you don't. And, and if you don't, quickly, here's the story of how the church in Philippi began. It's an incredible story. You'll find it in Acts chapter 16. When you are reading through Philippians this week, make sure you take just a moment. It won't take you long, five minutes. Go back and read Acts 16 when the church in Philippi began. Paul and Silas are traveling on this missionary journey, and they go to the Roman colony of Philippi, and they, they want to share the gospel with people. And they go down by the river, and they meet this, this woman. Her name is Lydia. And Lydia is a successful business owner. She's smart. She's talented. And she's described in, in Acts as a worshiper of God. She doesn't know who Jesus is yet. She doesn't know that part of the gospel. But she's, she's described as a worshiper of God. And Paul shares with her the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. She responded with, with faith. And she tells her family uh, this, the, the gospel message, they respond by faith, they get baptized. That's not where the story ends, though. While Paul is there, he notices a slave girl who is possessed by a demon, and her slave owners have been using her uh, for their fortune-telling business. It's a, it's a sad situation, and Paul's heart is broken over, and so uh, he he casts the demon out of this girl, brings her healing, which is amazing, right? We should all cheer over that. Uh, but the people that did not cheer were her slave owners because their fortune-telling business, which they made a lot of money on, was done. And so they report Paul and Silas, and they, uh, Paul and Silas get arrested, they get flogged, they get put into prison. While they're in prison... Uh, they're still sharing the gospel, and they're singing hymns in the middle of the night. Uh, this is where they're at spiritually, and it's incredible. They have, they're rejoicing over their circumstances, and God provides this earthquake. The chains fall off of them. The bars fly open, and they stay put. And the guy who's in charge of the jail, he, he comes uh, rushing down, hoping that they didn't leave because if, if they all escaped, he's dead, but they didn't. They're all there, and he's just blown away by the fact that they're still there. And Paul shares with them the gospel of Jesus. And, and this man responded by faith. He tells his family about the gospel. They respond by faith. They get baptized. 
the church in Philippi was born. It's an incredible story. I hope you'll take some time and read it. So that's what he means, from the beginning until now. Because years later, Paul's in prison. This church, uh, they sent help. They sent encouragement. They didn't just forget about Paul. Sorry about your luck, Paul. We've got other things going on in our lives. Our lives are tough here in Philippi. You figure it out. No, they continued to partner with, God, with Paul for the sake of the gospel. Active participants, faithfully, no matter what happened. I think about how we would apply that in our current church context. I think it's important that you know here at Grace Fellowship Church, we don't have what would be considered traditional church membership. We have uh, what we call church partnership, and we use that word not just as an exchange of words. We use that word partnership intentionally because uh, we don't just want Sam's Club members uh, of, of our church where you pay your dues and you get some services. That's not what we want to communicate with, uh, with uh, our commitment to one another. We want active participation in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't want a room full of pew warmers. We don't want well-mannered consumers. We want active participants in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's why that matters. Because when we are actively participating together for for the gospel, for the sake of Jesus Christ, when we do that together, no matter what happens, we can rejoice over what God is doing in the lives of other believers, because we're part of it. We're part of each other's lives. Let's say, let's say that you experience something really difficult. You go through something really hard. In that time, you can rejoice, because if we're doing our job, if, if we are participating as the body of Christ the way we should, when you go through something difficult, if you're part of that, then your church family is going to love on you and care for you and show kindness and affection and grace towards you. And if someone else, if it's not you, but someone else is going through it, you're going to actively participate in their lives in that way. It's beautiful. You, you, You can rejoice and give thanks that that's happening. If the United States somehow becomes... I don't know if this is going to happen. I'm not predicting anything. I'm just saying if the United States becomes Cuba 2.0, I know that's a concern that some people have. If that happens, we can still rejoice. You know why? Because we'll figure it out. If we are actively participating in the gospel together, in ministry together, we'll figure out how to do ministry. We'll figure out how to care for one another. We'll figure it out. They did in Philippi. They did in the early church. When, uh, when it was definitely not easy to be a follower of Jesus, they figured it out. We'll be able to do the same if we stick together, if we participate in the gospel with one another. We'll be okay. We can rejoice because of verse 6. Verse 6 says, uh, I am certain, I am confident that God who began the good work within you, he's talking about believers, he'll continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when when Jesus Christ returns. We can be thankful and rejoice in what God is doing in the lives of other believers. You and I aren't always faithful. 
but God is. You and I sometimes fall short and fail, but God doesn't. Sometimes other Christians are going to let us down. Sometimes other Christians are going to disappoint us. But we can still rejoice and be glad. We can take delight. We can feel joy and have, express an enthusiastic thank you for what God is doing in the lives of believers, for what God is doing in the ministry here at Grace Fellowship. There's some incredible things happening. Because of this chapter, I was just kind of reflecting over where we are in ministry now compared to where we've been in years past. And, and we've got more people involved in grace groups at Grace Fellowship than we ever have. We have more people participating in discipleship training every week than we ever have. We have more people sharing the, the, the ministry burden and sharing in generosity than ever before. We have more people actively participating in the gospel than we ever have. It's incredible. There's, there's just things happening in people's lives and in families that are amazing. And we can rejoice. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you, as I say this, I'm going to say what God's doing, and I just want you to smile and clap, all right? God is at work in the lives of the believers in this room. Aren't you excited about that? God's doing something in people's lives in this room, maybe even on the other side of that camera. God's doing something in the lives of believers. We should rejoice. Whatever happens. Here's the next one. Whatever happens. Good job, by the way. You're really good at rejoicing. I'm proud of you. Whatever happens, we can rejoice over what the gospel is doing in the lives of unbelievers. God's not just at work in your heart and in my heart. God's also at work in the lives of those who don't yet know Jesus. God's at work there. Go back to verse 12. Paul says, what I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, everything that's happened to me, what's happened? Well, he's been arrested and gone through all these things, and now he's in prison. Everything that's happened to me has helped to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Jesus Christ. Well, how do they know that? Well, I'm sure it's because Paul won't shut up about it. And because of my imprisonment, this is incredible, because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and they boldly speak God's message without fear. That's amazing. They see Paul's example. They see what he's willing to, to suffer and sacrifice for the sake of Jesus Christ. And they're like, man, that is amazing. And it, it creates in them a boldness. It inspires them to do the same. Verse 15 is interesting. He says, It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. Love this. Verse 18, that doesn't matter. What? He says, that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is still being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Paul's imprisonment itself was unjust. There were Christians who were taking advantage 
of his situation. They're trying to put him down so they could elevate themselves. Paul's response to all of it was, I rejoice. So what's he glad about? What's he filled with joy about? He says he's, he's, he's glad that the gospel continues to be spread into places that he most likely would not have had access to had he not been in the situation that he was. His imprisonment motivated believers to speak the gospel more courageously, fearlessly. You know, I, I read that part about, you know, even some of the things that weren't fair, that weren't just, and people weren't, they didn't have the right motives. I read all of that, and I think, you know, it would not be hard. It probably wouldn't take us too long to come up with a pretty significant list of things that have been unjust, that have been unfair, that have been difficult, that have been frustrating, that have been disappointing throughout the, the length of this whole pandemic that we've been experiencing, right? It probably wouldn't take us long to come up with a significant list of that stuff. But here's what I'm challenged with. Instead of letting that forfeit my joy, leak my joy, instead of letting those things misplace my joy, instead, let's rejoice. Let's rejoice. The fact that these online services, not something we plan to do, uh, certainly not in the timeline that we, we needed to do it, but we can rejoice that the online services have been a blessing to people who have, uh, and have reached people with the message of the gospel that we would have never been able to before. That's pretty incredible. We can rejoice that, that many of us, and I know this to be true, uh, many of us have become more bold, more fearless, more confident in sharing our faith, in, in speaking the truth, in, in talking about Jesus and the gospel than we ever have. We can rejoice that God is going to use our suffering to demonstrate to an unbelieving world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is absolutely true, that we believe it, not just when it's sunshine and rainbows, but when life is hard, when life is challenging, and we still are firm in the gospel, that says something to an unbelieving world. And we can rejoice over that. I think about some of the things that we're walking through right now. I uh, got a text message right before we started about someone connected to our church that, uh, that has COVID, and uh, we're not sure how that's going to turn out. It doesn't look good. I've got a friend in, uh, in Washington, a pastor, a friend of mine in, in Washington State right now. He's in the hospital with COVID, and, and uh, the last message I got on Friday is his wife uh, is, is not expecting him to survive it. And it's heartbreaking, right? These are the kind of things that are heartbreaking. We, we, we go financially, and the grocery store is hard. We have gas pump poverty. You know, there, there's, there's things that are just really, really hard right now. And we're experiencing, and it's, and it's real. The political upheaval that we see every day is insane. But because of the gospel, we can still rejoice because Jesus is still on the throne. And because He's still on the throne, we don't have to be shaken by any of it. And you need to understand that God wants to use you to impact the people that you work with. God wants to use you to impact the people you go to school with. God wants to use you to impact the people that are in your family tree. 
Because whatever is happening in your life right now, God is able to use it to demonstrate to people who don't know Jesus that you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is real. And that's something to rejoice over. I'm going to say God is at work in the lives of unbelievers, and I want you to smile and clap. God is at work in the lives of unbelievers. He wants to do that in you. One more. Whatever happens, we can rejoice over what the gospel means for you, believer, for you personally. Verse 18 talks about he doesn't, he's not, he's not concerned uh, about these other messages, and he says uh, he's going he's gonna to rejoice, he's going to continue to rejoice. In verse 19, he says, I know that as you pray for me, the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me. This will lead to my deliverance. Just pause on that. What's deliverance mean? Well, it, it's going to mean one of two things in his situation. It's either going to mean acquitted and set free, or it's going to mean Execution, right? Those and execution then resulting in death, which results in going to heaven for Paul. And so he sees both of those outcomes as deliverance from his situation. That's how he views it. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to, to Christ whether I live or or die, whatever the outcome is here. He's got confidence that he's going to be able to be faithful. He's going to have the strength to endure it and walk through it no matter what because of Jesus, because of his hope of what's on the other side. He says, for me, for to me, living means living for Christ, dying, that's even better. If I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I, so I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between the two desires. I, I long to go to be with Christ, uh, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Paul says, I might get released from prison. He felt, he, he felt pretty confident about that. I might be executed, whatever happens, I win. I, I can't lose. God will provide deliverance either way. I, the message that I got from the wife of my friend in, in Washington, it said this, it said, you know, his condition. And his wife's perspective on what he's going through right now, knowing that he may not survive, she said this, I am jealous. That's her perspective because she knows and she, she said, if, if he dies, if he dies, then, then she, she believes that in his death, that people will come to know Jesus. If he survives, then that miracle will lead people to know Jesus. That's how she sees it. How, how does she have that perspective? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how. Whatever happens. And that was Paul's perspective. Whatever. It's not, and it's not this, this fatalistic worldview. Well, whatever will be, will be. That's not what he's saying. He believes in the sovereign wisdom of God. He has this unshakable hope because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
that phrase, I didn't, I didn't pick up on it. I, 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 and just in reading and studying, I, I came across this uh, meaning behind the phrase, eagerly expect. It's an incredible phrase. It's a, it's a deep meaning phrase. You know, the eagerly expect connected to hope is intense. It's not what you would say if you were to say, oh, I'm eagerly expecting and I've got this hope in my heart about my, uh, it's Christmas Eve and about what's going to happen tomorrow and I'm going to open presents, my family's going to be here. You know that feeling you kind of get Christmas Eve where you have this eager expectation combined with hope? That's not what this is. Or when your favorite team takes the field, you know that feeling you kind of get before the game starts, you get this eager expectation kind of combined with this hope, I hope we win and hope things go well. And That's not what this is. This phrase is, is, is a specific, intense phrase, and I put it this way. It would be if you and I were standing in downtown Johnstown right now, and we just got word that the dam broke, and the wall of water is coming. And we would look at each other, and there would be an eager expectation of what's coming combined with hope. Are we going to live? Are we going to survive this? I don't know but it's coming either way. That's what that phrase means. Paul doesn't know how it's going to turn out, but it's coming. One way or the other, it's going to unfold. And so he has this eager expectation. It's intense. Is he going to live and have more fruitful service for Christ? Is he going to be executed and wake up in heaven? He's not sure. But either way, Paul says, I rejoice. He's glad. He feels delight. He's able to express thanks to God because he can't lose. I wonder what would happen if we took a break from the news for a week. Like, I mean, just a, a separation from it. How about this? This is going to cause some of you anxiety just thinking about it. What if we took a break from social media for a week? Some of you are already getting the shakes. What? I don't know if I could do it. No, seriously, what, what if we took a break from that, separated ourselves from it for a week? Some of you radicals in the room, how about a month? If that happened, if we did that, would COVID disappear if we did that? Nope. Would corruption disappear from, from the government? Would the supply chain be restored? Would the inflation problem be resolved? No. But I wonder if that separation could give us enough room where we could breathe and rejoice. Instead of just constant bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, irritating things, frustrating things, lies, distortions, right, all day. We could just give ourselves some room to breathe so that we could rejoice. You know what God's doing in your life? Check this picture out. Whatever happens, whatever it is that maybe you have eagerly been expecting to happen with the intensity of, oh my, what's coming? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can't lose. 
even if everything that you imagine is going to happen happens, you can't lose. And the reason you can't lose, believers, because Jesus died on the cross, and then three days later he rose from the dead. That's why you can't lose. Hey, we're getting it. Yes. The two's empty. Jesus won. And because those of you who are connected to Jesus through faith, you can't lose either. He's already won the victory. I'm going to finish with this thought. You know, it's easy to say, rejoice when life is hard. Look for the silver lining. Find the positive. Put on a happy face. Break out in the song. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. That's pretty good, right? Hey, celebrate. Yes, rejoice. Listen, it's easy to say those things when you're not in the middle of it. But how do we actually move our hearts to rejoice when we can't see the silver lining on the horizon, when we're not sure if the sun will come up tomorrow? We're going to finish with this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Above all, whatever happens, you must live as citizens of heaven, Already see yourself there. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the good news. Keep living a Jesus-centered life. Then, whether I come and see you again or I only hear about you, I'll know that you are standing together. Stick together with one spirit, with one purpose. Fight together. Not with each other. Fight together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. I love this. When you're not intimidated, when you're not afraid, this is a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed and you're going to be saved even by God himself. For if you have been given not only the privilege of trusting Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him, we're in this struggle together. I love that. Listen to it again. We are in this struggle together. See my struggle in the past, you know I'm still in the middle of it now. Go back to verse 9. He prays for them and says, he prays that, that love will overflow more and more in them, that they'll keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure, blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. This will bring much glory and praise to God. Whatever happens, keep living a Jesus-centered life. Stick together. These are the things that result in rejoicing. They give us reason to rejoice. When we rejoice, we restore joy. We, re we protect joy. Would you stand? We're going to have a song here in just a moment. I want you to stand and I'm going to say some things, and I'm going to give you one last opportunity to smile and rejoice. You ready? Listen to this. God is at work in the lives of believers. God's at work in the lives of unbelievers. God's at work in your heart, in your life. He's not going to stop halfway. He's not going to come up short. God will not leave you along the way where he has promised to take you to completion, who he has promised to make you, he who began a good work in you is faithful and he will complete it. 
what He has started in you. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And so we rejoice. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this.